we'll be in Psalm 34. Psalm 34, we heard the words a few moments ago as we saw the video. And as you're turning there, I want to share about an occasion in my life. Years ago, I just had started working and one year came and it went and we got into the spring months and somebody asked me, did you pay your taxes? Now, I hadn't had a lot of direction on how all that worked at that point. I said, well, I think I did. They, they take money out of my check each week, you know, and, and they said, no, you've got you've to fill out some forms and you've got to send them in and, and you're going to get in big trouble. And, and one of my friends was kind enough to share with me, Steve, you might even have to go to jail over this, you know. I'm thinking, great, my first job, I just, just started making a little money, now I'm probably going to have to go to jail. And, and in the first service, I said, how many of you have not paid your taxes like me? And everyone was afraid to raise their hand, but I forgot, and I didn't even know uh, to forget in the first place. So, I mean, I'm just totally ignorant on how the process works, and, and uh, I don't know if you've ever had a problem in your life that you didn't really know what to do about it, but you couldn't stop thinking about it. Maybe you'd get ready to go to bed, and one of the last thoughts in your mind is, Man, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be in big trouble about this tax thing. And Maybe you'd wake up in the night, it was on your mind. You'd be at work, and as soon as your mind would hit a, a lull, you would immediately think of this issue in your life. And that's how this was for me. I didn't do much about it. I was struck with this fear that prevented me from moving on. And I remember one day I had a friend. He was an older guy, and uh, his name was Earl. I remember I was talking to Earl one day, and, and I said, Earl, I'm in big trouble said, I didn't file my taxes. I said, I didn't even know I was supposed to. I just thought if they took it out of your check, they're happy, I'm happy, you know. And, and uh, 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 he said, Steve, did you know that I'm a retired IRS agent? <laughs> and I was thinking, I knew there was something I didn't like about you, you money grubber, you know. And, and uh, he, he said, Steve, I'm going to tell you something. You listening to Earl? Uh, yeah, I'm listening to Earl. He said, all right, I'm going to tell you something. Don't worry about it. Give me your stuff, and I'm going to take care of it for you. And uh, I gave him my stuff, you know, they always need stuff, don't they? And, and so I gave him my stuff, and he went to work on it. I, I don't know, maybe a week or two later, he, he uh, said, come over, I've got something for you. And he had a bunch of forms and a place for me to sign on the bottom. And, and uh, uh, he said, I've taken care of it all, you're fine. I said, well, uh, you know, am I, am I in big trouble? I, I've known for a long time now that I don't look good in orange jumpsuits, and I was really nervous about going to jail over this. He said, no, you're not in trouble. I said, well, do I owe a bunch of money, maybe fines or something? He said, no. He said, in fact, Steve, you made such a little amount of money, you're going to get a refund from what they took out of your check with interest. Only in America would you reward a tax evader by paying him interest on the return he would have got. And don't get uptight. It was only like 43 cents or something, but... Uh, I was in a terrible situation. I had no idea what to do. I took my problem to someone that did know what to do. He delivered me from the mess I was in. So what did I do? I thanked Earl. Earl, you're the best, man. Thank you. In fact, I told other people, man, I had a big problem. I didn't know how to get out of it. I thought I was going to have to suffer in prison even, you know. And, and I took my trouble to Earl, and Earl solved my trouble. And some of the people I told about Earl said, you know, I've got some tax questions. Could we ask Earl? I said, he's got an open-door policy, man. And they would go to Earl. And then there was a whole group of us that knew Earl and had been helped by Earl. And sometimes when we were together, Earl's name would come up, and someone would say, he's a great guy. And someone else would say, that Earl really is a great guy. And uh, we just appreciated Earl work so much. The psalm we're in was an occasion in David's life where he was in a bad situation. In fact, he was in a bad situation behaving somewhat badly. It was that situation that inspired the writing of, of this particular psalm. 
He didn't know how he was going to get out of the mess he was in. The Lord began to work in his life. And because of that, David began to praise God. God, you delivered me from this situation. You've delivered me from my fears. You've delivered me from those that wanted to put an end to my life. And God, I want to praise you for that. And and then as we discern from this text, he would sometimes talk with others. And he'd say, man, God is so great. He delivered me from my trouble. I'd imagine he can deliver you from your trouble. And, And the Bible says there were those that heard that. And the Bible says they were glad. The Bible tells us in this text that after a while, those that believed that God was a good God and, and delivered them, they would get together and talk about God. It's, it's a great example of how God wants to work in our lives and the result that can come. Now, our series, I Am, is revealing to us those various elements that make God, God. We've discovered He's our sufficiency. We've discovered He's our provider. And today, we're going to see in this text that He's our deliverer. He's our deliverer. Now, I don't know what you're up against today. Maybe it is a tax situation or a relational issue or the job is on the line and word is awaiting next week. All of us, all of us can be blessed by discovering how God does a work practically in our lives of delivering. Spiritually, we all need to know what it is to be delivered from the debt of our sin, but but practically, it's the nature of God to deliver, and, and it's good for us to know the character of God in this way and how He works. So I'm going to be in prayer today as I get ready to begin this lesson, and I'll be asking God, God, help me today. And I hope as I'm praying aloud in your heart, you'll be saying, God, help me too. Help me to hear this and learn it and receive it. I think it'd be great if when we walked out those back doors today, all of us could truly say in our heart, you know something? I was helped. I was encouraged. And I think God can do that. Our Father, we thank you that you are a good God and a loving God. We're grateful that you are. Help us in this study today to discover the way you work in our lives through delivering. God, please help me to say those things that you would have me to say. Work in this service, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As the Allies prepared for the invasion of Normandy on D-Day on June 6, 1944, the Prime Minister of England, a great hero in my mind, and I believe as we study the history of the world, a very pivotal figure, Winston Churchill, made a decision that he wanted to be present to observe this, this epic battle. He called upon an American general by the name of Eisenhower and shared with him that he would be watching this battle and he, he, he named the ship that he would want to be uh, uh, sitting on as he watched this happen. And Eisenhower said, listen, you can't come, it's too dangerous. You'd be too close to the battle, you could lose your life. And, and Eisenhower knew the role that Churchill was playing. He knew that without the steely resolve of a man like Winston Churchill, the world would have crumbled. By the way, never negate the value of one person who's willing to stand up for what's right. But Churchill persisted. So Eisenhower decided what he'd do is call the king of England. And he shared with the king of England, King George VI, what was going on. And the king of England called Winston Churchill and said, If you feel it is your duty as the prime minister to go and watch this battle, then I must be there with you. Well, now Churchill's thinking, that'll never work because we can't get the king killed. 
And so Churchill stood down. Why? Because everybody knows when you're in a battle, the king is not expendable. The people, the warriors, the citizens, the subjects defend their king. I didn't play chess growing up. Some of you love chess. I don't know that I understand it very well, but as it's been explained to me, and please don't correct me out loud if I am wrong today, but as it's been explained to me, the objective is to get the king of your opponent while protecting your own. Because that's how it works. You put those pawns out front. You, you utilize the pieces that you have so that you can, you can conquer your opponent by taking the king while all the while protecting your own king. I'm happy to tell you today that our king, the king of kings, Jesus, operates in a very different way. Rather than hiding behind a wall somewhere, pushing out his quote-unquote followers to protect him or preserve him, King Jesus, he's different, you see. He charges out in front of us. He leads the way. He's out there defending us and protecting us. He's, he's pushing us behind the safety of the, of the flank so that he can go ahead and take on those foes that could do us damage. He, he loves us that much. You see, with royal courage, he surrendered his body to be crucified. Being God the Son and the Son of God, He laid aside the prerogatives of deity to be born and live a life as a human. He is God. He never ceased to be God. But let us not forget that while He was 100% God, He, re, he, he became 100% man. You say, the math doesn't add up. Well, that's how it works. He lived a perfect life. He submitted Himself to all the rigors of living, was crucified. They mocked our King by putting a crown of thorns on His head. And he paid a royal ransom with the shedding of his blood. Friends, we have a great king. He's the king of kings. And he cares about you. And he cares about me. And, and we find a text before us that reveals much of the nature of, of God's work. Specifically the work of, of deliverance. King David experienced this work of God in his life. And he knew what deliverance was all about. He knew what it was to be delivered. Now, when we think of delivered, we think of delivered from, from. For the person who's a believer, they've placed their faith in Christ, we may think we've been delivered from the penalty or the wage of our sin. We've been delivered from an eternity separated from the love of God in the awful place we don't even like to talk about called hell. But David understood that if you're delivered from something, you're also delivered to something. And, and as we begin to see in this text what it is that David learned, we discover first of all today that he had been delivered to God's purpose, to God's purpose. Now David learned through trial and error in his life that his pursuits always ended up in catastrophes. Hear me today. David learned that when he lived with a selfish motive, he had a selfish agenda, when he tried to do those things that he thought would be good for him at the expense of others, David learned in life that a selfish life, it always ends in catastrophe. 
And so he understood through trial and error that he would come to these points in life where things would not go well. He discovered that when he got ahead of God, he would get in trouble. I'm going to use words that we'll find in the Bible. I won't take the time to read all the verses to you. But the Bible speaks of of people, uh, specifically in David's life, that lived by a selfish motive. They were in debt. They were discouraged. They had doubts. They were in despair. All biblical words. And David learned that he was to be delivered from the result of his own life so that he could be, li- be delivered to a life of God's purpose. You see, when Earl got me out of my tax uh, situation, I praised him personally. Earl, you're great. I praised him to others who, upon learning about Earl, went to Earl to discover that he could help them too. And then they praised him. And then we would all get together and talk about Earl really helped us out. Did you know that when we have been delivered by Jesus Christ, it it gives us a purpose, an agenda, an objective that is no longer about us and ours. It is about God and His. The Bible in Psalm 33, 1 says, Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. That word comely means it is suitable or appropriate. I want to speak to the men just for a moment this morning. Ladies, we'll let you listen in, okay? I've read a variety of of articles and, and, and books recently that have mentioned the decline in America of the influence of men, not just within the family. We know that is, is a major problem, but specifically within the realm of the local church. Now, Nothing I'm saying right now is, is denigrating the influence of godly ladies. We're all happy for that. And really, Coastline is, is a, a, a different church than you would find the, the ones written about. And that we've got a good group of godly men that are, that are here. They're, they're serving as the backbone. They're uh, loving the Lord and leading others. But the fact of the matter is, in America today, the, the influence and the role of men within the context of the local church, it's diminishing. And I believe one reason for that is sometimes as pastors in a desire to appease everybody, we've so watered it down that the thing that would be appealing to a man's man, it's just no longer there. It's too mushy. And I think even a lot of our music, it's just become such an effeminate atmosphere. I think a man's man many times walks into the typical church and we think, this is horrible. I'll send the wife, I'll send the children, but I'm going to stay at home and watch football. I'm not all that interested in it. Men, let me tell you something. We need a resurgence of men today in our nation who will be the leaders God has called them to be. They'll be the leaders in the home that God has called them to be. And they'll be the leaders in the church that God has called them to be. We think, boy, the life that praises God. And sometimes, guys, if we're not careful, we yawn and and we say, "Uh, that sounds pretty boring to me. But listen, friends, David discovered that if you've been delivered by God, you'll want to live a life that praises Him. Praises Him. Psalm 18.3 says this, I'll call upon the Lord, we sang it a moment ago, who is worthy to be praised. Personally acknowledging who God is. Praise. David embraced the deliverance of God in this decision he proclaimed in our text. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. What a statement of faith David made. If we were to go back and consider the experience in David's life that led him to write this particular psalm, we'd find David in a bad situation, in a bad way, to a degree behaving badly, making some unwise decisions. And he said, you know, I've made a decision in my life. I'm going to praise God. 
and I'm going to do so continually. It was a statement of faith because really David, in the situation he was in, he wasn't assured of tomorrow. Now, none of us are, but I mean, he was literally in a fight. He was literally in a warfare, but he had enough confidence in God to say, you know, I've seen the Lord work in my life to this point. I'll imagine he's going to continue working. I'm going to praise God. It's going to be in my mouth today and tomorrow and the next day. He made a commitment. Psalm 61, 8, the Bible says, So will I sing praise unto thy name forever, that I may daily perform my vows. You know, sometimes Christians get a little nervous when we say we need to live a life of commitment. We need to have a commitment to our church. And we say, you know, I don't know about all that uh, promise making. Friends, we'll make a commitment in every other less important area of life. You made a commitment to uh, your mortgage company. You made a commitment maybe to a a car lender. Listen, commitments, we all make commitments. Uh, David said, I just believe that there's nothing of greater importance or value than the Lord. And David said, I'm making a vow that I'm going to live the life that he would have me to live. He'd been delivered to God's purpose. Now, in verse 1, we find that David here in Psalm 34 says, I will bless the Lord. I'm going to bless the Lord. It was personal. In verse 2, he says, you know something? I'm going to bless the Lord in, in such a way that others will, will understand it. And they, look at the last words of verse 2, they'll be glad. They're going to be glad. So it's personal. Now it, it gets involved with, with others. And in verse 3, he says this, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. So David said, I'm going to praise God. And I'm going to praise God in such a way that when others hear what I have to say of God, they're going to be glad. When they learn there's a God that loves and cares and a God that delivers and a God that defends and protects, a God that is there for his own, when I praise God and they hear that, I'll be praising personally, but I'm going to have a group of people around me who will be encouraged by that as well. And the Bible says they'll be glad. And then verse 3 essentially says this, then all us ones that are praising God and glad for who he is, we'll get together and us will exalt his name together. I see a great parallel to the local church in that. What is the local church? It's a place where people who know God, now maybe you're here today and you've yet to accept Jesus as your personal Savior, but as far as the membership of a local church, it it is comprised of people who've been born again, they've been baptized, they've united together, we share a common doctrine, and the Bible says that we're here because we know Jesus, we are here with others that know Jesus, and we want the world to know about Jesus working together. I love it. You see, God wants us to know him, to share him, and to worship him. When David was delivered, he was delivered to God's purpose for his life. And God has a purpose for our lives as well. He was also delivered to God's peace. In verse 4, we find that David shares that he was delivered from fear. From fear to peace. He said, I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. It's interesting to me that David was a brave warrior, a valiant man of faith. And he said, the Lord delivered him from fears. And you know what caught me about that word is it's in the plural. He didn't just say this one big fear staring me in my life right now. He said, there's a lot of fears in my life. And I don't know that any of you would think less of me for sharing that 
I'm right there with David and I'm right there with you. There are just elements in life. There are things that are not known. Sometimes we look into what the next week or the next day or the next situation may hold. And when we look at life, many times what we sense is fear. One of my favorite classes in college was one of my hardest classes in college. It's like a love-hate kind of thing. My teacher was Mrs. Dalton. Boy, I'm telling you. She'd work us and work us and work us. She'd give us a great big paper and we'd write it and then she'd say cut it in half, cut it in half, cut it in half, cut it in half. She'd get us all the way down to a research paper. We had to sum it up in one sentence. She added a lot to my life. One time she assigned a gigantic research paper and this time she let us choose the topic. Normally she would just pick some random topic, you know, and she said, for this one, I'll let you pick the topic. So I picked the topic, Gunslingers of the Old West. It just sounded great to me. Now, I knew I'd have to do a little research. You had to, you know, have books that you'd looked at that you called sources. But I also knew I could watch a few movies and get away by calling that researching, you know. Rent cowboy movies, you know. Sorry, I can't talk now. I'm researching, you know, watching movies. And, and I thought that was pretty clever. But, but uh, I learned about a guy in the process of all this by the name of Black Bart. Black Bart was an interesting character. He was a guy who from 1875 to 1883 robbed 29 stagecoaches. And he always wore a mask. And people were terrified of him. He was never even pursued. You say, how many people did this guy shoot? Zero. He never even fired a shot. You say, well, why were people so afraid of Black Bart? Because he wore a mask. And he was intimidating. And he was a sinister-looking opponent. I think we all know what it is to face sinister-looking opponents in life. Fears that paralyze us. You see, fear is a terrible leader. If we get stuck in the anxiety of the moment, we're not going to be moving ahead in a great way. It's going to limit us. You see, quite often what we fear are those things that we cannot control. And what fear leads us to do, inevitably, when we fear things we can't control, we try to grapple for some things that we think we can control in life. And fear has a way of making control freaks of all of us. And the Bible tells us in the book of 1 John that there, there is a mature love, a perfect love that casts out all fear. Perfect love casts out fear, but I think, friends, that a perfect fear, conversely, will cast out love. You want to hurt your marriage? Be devoted to fear. Be, be driven by fear. What might happen and what could happen and what's going to happen? That perfect fear is going to push out the love. It'll be a self-fulfilling prophecy because as you grapple with an area you think you can't control, you're going to try to micromanage and manipulate another area, creating a scenario that's unsustainable, and the love in our life moves away. I'm just saying fear is, is a terrible, terrible leader in life. Fear makes tyrants of all of us. All of us. Met a man after the early service today who's been attending recently. He's a, he's a bus driver and reminded me of a story I'd shared. One day a bus driver was driving along his route and 
and the guy got on the bus, and this great big guy, they said he was about 6'8", and just huge, looked like he'd uh, been lifting weights his whole life, looked like a rough guy, and he looked at the bus driver, and, and uh, he said, Big John doesn't pay. Just made his way back to the bus and sat down. The bus driver's paralyzed by fear because he said he was five foot three and thin and not a guy that would want to get in a fight with anybody, much less a giant like this guy. But it just began to eat his lunch that that guy would just mock him that way. He said literally he'd wake up in the middle of the night just so upset about this. It just began to consume his life to the point it was all he could think about. He was so angry. And so he started taking weightlifting classes and karate and judo and all this kind of stuff so he could just get totally to the point where nobody would ever put him down again and, of course, through it all every day as he'd go to this one stop. Big John doesn't pay. Well, one day after months, this guy had finally put on some muscles and learned how to fight, and he pulled up to that stop, and the guy got on and said, Big John doesn't pay, and walked to the bus, and the driver stood up and said, And why not? And he said, well, Big John has a bus pass. You know, I, I don't have to pass. I've already paid. You know, that bus driver learned this. His fears were unfounded. And do you know what the Bible has for us today? It, it has for us the understanding that if you're a person of faith and you're following the Lord, our fears are unfounded. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. We know that a variety of difficulties may emerge, but none of them can take us from God. Psalm 56 and verse 3 says, What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. We all know what it is to have times of fear. And God says, I'll tell you what, why don't you let those fears, instead of just pushing you way out of the way in life, why don't you let them draw yourself back into me? Why don't you let them motivate you to come close to me? I love the way David said, This poor man cried, speaking of himself and the Lord heard him. Let me tell you something I know about all of us today. We're all poor in this sense. We're all poor in that life many times brings these situations our way that are out of our control. Fear is the temptation. And fear, of course, turns us into tyrants. We know that. David said this poor man cried and the Lord heard him. Let me tell you something. We're all poor in the sense that our needs are big. But we're all rich in the sense that our God is always bigger than our need. I don't know what you're afraid of today. I don't know what it is you're thinking of. I don't know what's on the back of your mind. I don't know what, what it is when it's a quiet moment for you that, that, that comes into your mind. It's something that you're concerned with. This much I do know. God is bigger than it all. When God delivers us, He delivers us to His purpose, to His peace. And we, we find that God also here delivered David to His presence his presence. I don't know if you've noticed how lonely life can get. I've got a cynical streak in me that I've got to work on all the time. How many true friends do you have? It's a frighteningly small number when you really boil it down. How many people in your life have, have you given or have they given you a lifetime pass, so to speak? You're my friend no matter what. Because almost every relationship in our lives, almost every single relationship in our life, it's all performance-based. You have a bad enough day, they're gone. They don't care about you. 
And David, being a leader, especially knew the loneliness that comes along with that. You're our leader. We love you, David. And he made a bad move earlier in, in, in the Bible. And they said, we don't like you anymore. In fact, the Bible says they wanted to kill him. David came to the place in his life where he understood there was a friend that does stick closer than a brother, a friend that never leaves, and it's God. It's God. New York Times had an article. And the guy that wrote it, his name was Hal, I'm going to say Ned Vecchi. I don't know how to pronounce his name, but that's close enough. He talked about how stupid he thought Facebook was. And by the way, I would agree with with his assessment on that. I realize none of you agree with my assessment, but, um, you know, telling people, yeah, I'm eating chips right now. <laughs> Thanks for sharing. <laughs> the Bible says we're going to give an account of every idle word, and I understand now that even Twitter messages are being kept and recorded in the Library of Congress and or Smithsonian, whatever it is. But at any rate, I digress. My pet peeve, I know I'm like the only person in the world that feels that that's dumb. But at any rate... He felt this was dumb, Hal did, and, and then he decided, you know, i got to step up to the New Times and get involved in this, and so he, he started doing Facebook, and in a short amount of time, he got 700 friends. How many friends do you have? 700 friends. That guy has a lot of friends. He's got friends coming out of his ears. He said he had a, a, a bizarre association with this number growing, and him succeeding personally. He was so happy to have friends. He said, I was absurdly proud of how many cyber pals, connections, acquaintances, even strangers that I'd managed to sign up. So this guy who des describes himself as an irritable workaholic decided, well, I'm going to get together with my friends because, I mean, that's what friends do, right? So he sent out an invitation for a get-together, he said, at a local watering hole, whatever that means, and, and uh, uh, to the invitation, you could check attending, maybe attending, not attending. Fifteen said they would be there. Sixty said they might be there, and he thought maybe about 20 will show up. So the next day, he says, I took a shower, I shaved, I splashed on my tingly man perfume. It's <laughs> a nice way of saying it. He said, I put on new pants and my favorite shirt, brimming with optimism. I headed over to the neighborhood watering hole and waited and waited and waited and waited. And eventually one person showed up. And the one who showed up, he said, I didn't even know her. She was a friend of another online friend. He said, we talked for a few moments and then she left. And he concludes by saying, 700 friends. And still here I am drinking alone. You know how vain and empty what we call life is so often? God says there's a better way. And it leads to legitimate, real, long-lasting friendships, authentic friendships. But God says none of that really makes sense until you understand that I'm there. That I'm there. David learned he was never truly alone. In our text, the Bible says, The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him, and delivereth them. You see, he's the God that delivers. In another text, he said it this way in Psalm 40, But I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinketh upon me. Thou art my help and my deliverer. Make no tarrying, O my God. What a joy it is to be delivered from a condition of sinfulness to a relationship with God that lasts forever. 
In John 15, 13, the Bible says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. That's what Jesus Christ did for us to deliver us from sin. He is faithful, he is true, and he's ever there to minister to us. This text tells us a lot about God, but it has something to say about each of us as individuals. I want you to look at verse 8 in your text, if you would, please. The final verse we're studying together. If you need to look on with a neighbor, the Bible says this, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in Him. Taste and see, the Bible says, that the Lord is good. A month or two back, my wife decided she was going to start cooking really healthy meals. Now, I had no problem with the meals that she classified as unhealthy, to be honest with you. She's a good cooker, and I'm, you know, I'm always happy to eat whatever it is she's putting out in front of me. And By the way, I got permission to tell this story, so don't get nervous for her, okay? <laughs> um, but she said, you know, I'm not shopping in the center of the grocery store anymore. All that box preservative stuff, shopping around the edges. That's where the fruit and vegetables, you know. And she said, we're going to eat good food. And I said, okay. And she started cooking healthy stuff. And I said, you know, that, that's fine. But I've noticed quite often, and maybe you share this that I have noticed, that junk food often tastes better than healthy food, you know. <laughs> I get an amen, a witness, you know. And uh, so I, I thought, all right. But, but, you know, it was going pretty good. And, and the other day, it wasn't last Sunday, that was Mother's Day. You can't make your wife and the mother of your children cook on Mother's Day. It was, it was before that, but uh, she'd been working on something. It was baby garbanzo bean, not just garbanzo beans, mind you, baby garbanzo bean casserole. That's what I said. <laughs> I'm like, what? Now, my family farms garbanzo beans in Colorado. I'm, I'm not against garbanzo beans. Support the industry, but, but baby garbanzo bean ca casserole. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. The girls called me. They knew I was coming home, and they said, Dad, Mom, Mom's trying something new tonight. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if they think I'm, I'm crabby or they think Lisa's sensitive or whatever, but, but they called me to say, just say you like it, Dad. Just say you like it, okay? <laughs> I said, all right, don't worry about it. I'm sure it'll be fine, you know, good night. And uh, I got home, and I looked at this, and it was like, Everything within me was saying, get away from this dish. <laughs> and um, Lisa said, well, you got to try it. You know, you got to try it. She scooped some up in a spoon and started bringing the spoon towards me. And inside I was like, no. <laughs> you got to try it. Taste it and see. And, you know, she put that spoon in my mouth, and I got to tell you, I hated it. <laughs> it was as bad as it looked. And I had to say I liked it. I'd already made a pact with the girls, you know, and how is it? Mm, you know? <laughs> and if I'm lying, I'm frying. Lisa said, uh, Julie, it tastes good cold, too. We can put this in your lunch tomorrow. And Julie's like, what have I done, you know? That's the last time I'm lying, and... Taste and see. I tasted and I saw. If you learn two things today, one of them needs to be don't eat baby garbanzo bean casserole. 
because I tasted and saw it's not good. If you learn one thing today, it's that the Lord is good. I've tasted, I've seen. You'll, you'll never be disappointed. You'll never be let down. He's just great. He's the only king I know of that when a battle comes into our lives, he says, you guys are going to be safe here behind me. I'm out front protecting. You know, many people today have only heard of God's deliverance. Again, maybe you're here today and, and really you're just here, you're trying to put it all together and figure it out and maybe you, you heard what someone else said about God and like we read in our text, it, you were glad to know they were helped but just not quite understanding it. So many people today, they, they've heard of the deliverance of God and, and today the Bible is saying taste and see. Let it become real to you. Accept it by faith. Taste and see. Today, our opportunity is this, to experience this spiritually as well as practically. You see, letting the Lord be the king of your life does not mean there aren't battles. Nope, if there's a kingdom, there's always going to be battles. But it means that he delivers us. He works in our lives. What area do you need deliverance in your life? When those fears emerge, what are they? You see, a relationship with God is not a lucky rabbit's foot. It's, it's not trying to get the karma just right in your life. But it's a relationship that provides us the wherewithal to personally experience God's work of deliverance. Our Father, we're thankful today that the Bible is true we're thankful to know that you can deliver anybody from any situation as we turn to you. Lord, I pray that you'd help us today to taste and see that the Lord is good. And may we know the blessing of trusting or putting our confidence, our faith in you. Help us, Lord. Touch hearts today. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed and... In a few moments, we'll be done, and we'll be making our way out the back door and heading home today. As we got started, I, I said, wouldn't it be great if when we left today, we could say we learned something and we were helped. I wonder what it is you could have learned today, what could have been a help today. Maybe you're here, and you say, Pastor, yep, there's some things in my life. I'd like to know God's deliverance. I, I'd like to taste it. I'd like to see it. I'd like for it to be vivid in my life. Maybe you'd say, pastors, you shared this message today. My problem's not a tax problem like the one you shared as you got started, but, but I've got some areas and I wouldn't mind at all you thinking of me in prayer. I, I need to know right now what God's work of deliverance is all about in my life. Are there those this morning by the testimony of an upraised hand? Pastor, pray with me. Pray with me. Numbers of hands. Yeah, thank you. You may put them down. Now listen, maybe you're here today and you'd say, you know, Pastor, you talked about being delivered from the penalty of sin and having a relationship with God that lasts forever. Friends, that is the single most important decision anybody can ever make. 
And I want to ask, ask you this question this way today. Do you know for sure if you were to die today? Now, God forbid, all right, but to put it into context, to frame the question, do you know for sure if you were to die today that you would spend eternity in heaven with God? Maybe you're here, you say, you know, Pastor, the reality of it is I'm not sure. I don't know. I'm not going to single you out or embarrass you. I'd never do that, but I would like to be in prayer for you. And maybe you're here today, you'd say, Pastor, that's me. I've heard about God's deliverance that way, but I've not tasted it. It's not personal to me now. I'm, I'm not certain that I have that relationship with God. Are there those today who say, Pastor, yeah, you could pray with me as you're putting up your hands. Pastor, pray with me. Are there those today? I'm not sure, but I'd like to be. I'd like to know. Thank you. Maybe there are other needs. You've been saved and not yet baptized. Maybe the Lord is prompting you to unite with the Coastline family by way of membership. Just follow the Lord. He's good. He's good. Would you be so kind as to join me in standing, please? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. The music's beginning to play. Brother Steve's going to lead us in a song in a moment called Where He Leads Me. If you know those words, you could sing along with him. But this is also a time for us to consider what we've received from God and a chance then to talk to God. The front of a church is many times called an altar. Maybe today you just want to come and bend the knee and spend a time in prayer. Lord, I need your help. Deliver me from this situation. Maybe you'd like to talk with someone. We've got men and ladies in the front. And they've got their copy of God's word with them. They'd love to share a verse of encouragement with you or just pray with you. It could be a blessing. If you're unsure of where you are spiritually, man, make that a settled issue today. As the singing begins, if you know those words, sing along. But if God's touched your heart, I'll invite you to come.